Hello and welcome to the Other Kind of Doctor podcast. My name is Gemma. And my name is Gaia and we are both on the journey of gaining a PhD. A quick disclaimer before we start. We are in fact the academic kind of doctors. Well, nearly doctors. Yes, nearly doctors. But we're not your medical kind of doctors. So if you do need medical attention, please contact your GP. Now, let's get on with the episode. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the third? Third episode. Yes. We didn't record last week, so we're on a bit of catch up. (laughs) Welcome to the third episode of the Other Kind of Doctor podcast. So happy to have you here, uh, listeners. I thought you were talking about me. I was like, I'm always here. (laughs) I'm not happy to have you here at all. Oh. (laughs) So how has your week been, Gaia? What have you been up to? Lots of applying for ethics and teaching So fun. Applying for ethics, how's that been? Next question, please. How was your week? (laughs) My week has felt really long, Mm -hmm. and it's only Thursday when we're recording this. I had just had my upgrade, as in about two seconds ago, came from having my upgrade to the podcast studio. For those of you who don't know, an upgrade is where about halfway through your PhD you're not actually studying for a PhD until you've had your upgrade. It's mm-hmm. like a, almost like an oral examination, but it's a bit less scary than that. It's like yeah. a meeting. To check, less formal. Less formal. It's to check your progress and to check you're on track to complete your PhD within the funding mm-hmm. and just to check if there's any been is, any issues or obstacles and things. So I just had mine and I passed. Woohoo! Woohoo! So, Against every expectation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> and I've also been marking this week, or I just finished marking. How was that? <laughs> Brilliant, loved it. Right, so what's the topic this week? So it actually leads on from your teaching and my marking, because this week we're talking about teaching. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're talking about teaching in our PhD mm-hmm. and teaching as a PhD student. Yeah, we are fairly... Not new to teaching because we're on a GTA contract. What that means is graduate teaching associate. So we're on a 60% PhD, 40% GTA contract. So we teach a lot. Yeah, we tend to teach more than a typical PhD student. So we kind of feel qualified to talk talk about (laughs) teaching during a PhD. But teaching during your PhD is quite a common role Mm -hmm. um, to have alongside your uh, PhD. It's also quite good because you uh, can earn a bit of extra money and also get teaching Experience. Experience. And yeah. You know, what does teaching look like as a PhD student, Gaia? I don't know what it looks like in other departments. Well, we kind of do. Mm. But so much. It, it's just so much. So we do workshops for undergrads. We do running seminars. Some PhD students also give lectures if they're really, yeah. if they're lucky. Workshops might also be like demonstrations. Mm. So like in biology and, and like, like more sciencey subjects like in labs they might demonstrate how to run a specific mm. experiment with your little lab coat we with, always with, see them yeah with a nice little cute lab coat we do a lot of marking oh so much marking and, well I think me and Guy are actually do more marking than yeah. typical GTA but you might do about one or two batches a year mm-hmm. um, of marking it's fun actually but until it becomes too much too much <laughs> and I think as well teaching or education, this is what we were talking to our director of yeah. education in the 
psychology department uh, last week, actually. Hello, Victoria. Hello, Victoria, if you're listening. <laughs> I don't think she would be listening. <laughs> she better be. <laughs> She's got much better things to do than listen to us. But she was making a really good point that teaching isn't just about physical teaching, giving lectures and things. It's about education mm-hmm. and advocating for education within the higher education setting. So that might be engaging in pedagogic research, attending mm-hmm. seminars related to teaching, uh, outreach, um, scholarship, which could be things like doing a podcast, hey. uh, uh, disseminating teaching information and things like that. Yeah, um, so not just strictly teaching and marking. No, you're also attending like, like workshops, like the teaching one we did last week, mm. which was really good. It was about teaching-focused careers in academia, which was really interesting. We also work, go to department board meetings, so we get to know how the department runs. We go to like, school board meetings mm-hmm. as well, which actually is really interesting. If you are like a GTA or a TA and you've been invited, it's quite useful to go to, I think, because you get to understand the broad context of yeah. why, why you're teaching. It gives you more of an idea of what's going on in general. Yeah, and where things are going, like the mm. strategy, what might happen next year, how things are changing and that also can help inform your teaching as well. So when students ask you really random questions, you can kind of answer them. <laughs> kind um, of, yeah. If they ask you about something that you have no idea about. What about qualifications? What qualifications do you have to, to teach? I have done Instill. Instill, I think, is just Royal Holloway, but other universities might call it something different. Okay, so Royal Holloway, when you start teaching, you do Instill, which is like a course on how to teach, basically. You attend many seminars and then you have to do your little portfolio that you will submit. And then at the end of it, if you're lucky, you get to <laughs> no, be... If, not if you're lucky. <laughs> if if you you're pass. good, you get to be Associate Fellow of Higher Education something. Association, I think. HEA, whatever that stands yeah. for. So when you start teaching, so mostly teaching associates and PhD students mm. become the Associate Fellow of the HEA, which is at the bottom level of the teaching qualification so you're kind of assessed on things like delivering a workshop or running small group teaching diversity and and you have to do a reflection log about how you've done all of these things Mm -hmm. it's really interesting and I actually learned quite a lot and you felt like doing a coursework while in your PhD which made me feel so yeah and it it was nice I enjoyed it and actually got to learn about teaching in other departments as well Mm -hmm. and how that's run once you finish your PhD, you can continue on your teaching qualifications, which I think you do have to do when you become a lecturer or a postdoctoral teaching associate or teaching fellow. You can gain fellowship or senior fellowship of the HEA by doing the next qualification, which is in at Royal Holloway called Capital, but other universities might call it something yeah. else. How was your start of teaching? How did you feel when you started teaching? I found teaching quite daunting, surprisingly. Um, Oh, no one does. (laughs) No one does. I had done some kind of tutoring in the past, like one-to-one, but to get up in front of a seminar and deliver a seminar in front of 30 to 40 undergrads staring at you and you're expected (laughs) to know what you're talking about was really scary for me. I was straight out of my undergrad as well, so I only just graduated so I felt like such an imposter because I was like hang on these are I was an undergrad a few months ago and now I'm expected to teach undergrads I mean they were first year undergrads so it was you know I Mm. knew I knew everything but it was yeah that confidence wasn't there I felt like I didn't know enough (laughs) 
I actually asked another lab tutor, which actually was a really good thing to do and it did kind of settle my nerves there was someone teaching the same class before me and I said do you mind if I just sit in your lab class and watch you do the teaching so I can see how you run things that's really cute and also a really good idea yeah so I shadowed him for his session I prepped so much oh my gosh so much (laughs) that first lab class I prepped so much almost too much Mm -hmm. I got so stressed and it did go well probably But the class I had was just really quiet. Mm. So I was supposed to be doing all these group activities and I'd kind of envisaged them all chatting and putting their hands up. And I was like, no one was talking. And I was, oh, no. After a few weeks, they did kind of open up. I think it was a new, you know, a fresh face. This is my third year of teaching. Impressive. And some classes are just more chatty than others. It just so happened that the first class I got were really quiet. You also learn how to deal with it after a while, but I had the same thing with my first class. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) Yeah, you just have to adapt your technique. How about you? What was your teaching experience like when you first started teaching? I was so stressed. You know when you're on the train and you're so stressed that you're like not stressed? I don't know how to explain it. I have no idea what you mean. (laughs) Before going, I was like, I need to look decent Mm. so that if I don't know what I'm saying, at least I have my little eyeliner on. Yeah, nice. So I chose my outfit. I had a little cat shirt (laughs) and my jeans. I had my eyeliner and I was like, okay, at least I look good. That's all you can ask for, really. (laughs) That was part of the instill qualification. Yeah, it does make you feel more confident. Even at conferences, if you think you look good or professional, Mm. it makes you feel better. Yeah. Like, you can actually do it. Yeah. And again, my first class was so quiet. And after it, I just messaged the team's chat of the whole department being like, please help. (laughs) And people, people were very nice about it. But... Yeah, it was daunting, but at the same time, after, like, fourth week, you get used to it, and then it's kind of fun, okay. you know? Yeah, it, is, it does become fun. Yeah. yeah, I didn't say that in mine. Yeah, it did. Beca- it does, it it does, does become, become fun. fun. Yeah, I think just getting over those, and, it, and also understanding that everyone kind of feels nervous, and oh, it's fine. Yeah. And the students definitely don't realise that you're nervous. No, it's just right after my first class, it's like, you know when you do an interview, and then you get out of it, and you're like, I have no idea what I just said. <laughs> That's how I felt. (laughs) Yeah. And I think what I did for when I first started teaching was I pretended. It was almost like I was acting like a confident teacher. Yes. So I I say this to people when I have students that are worried about doing like a class presentation. I say, just go in there and pretend that you are a presenter on telly talking about that subject. Mm -hmm. And that presenter is really confident. You're not Gaia. You are... Anton Deck, I don't know. <laughs> you, you're, you know, Tess Daly of Strictly Come Dancing. Do people watch Strictly Come Dancing? You don't know who that is. No, I don't. Anyway, Sorry. if you knew her, imagine you were her doing your sure your teaching. You should watch a video after this. She's, okay, I will. I will. After our nervousness, we need to probably tell the listeners how to make teaching successful. What What is something that you learned after three years of teaching? I think, first of all, giving yourself a break. I didn't have any formal teaching experience before I started Mm. my PhD. A lot of PhD students won't have teaching experience, and that's absolutely okay. You've got 
three years of your PhD to gain teaching experience and it's one of those things you are not supposed to be amazing at it straight away and also having a confidence that you do know more than the students yeah. I went into my first class and was like oh, I've got to tell them what a correlational design is scary it's scary and I was like, actually, I know this because I learned it three years ago and have been <laughs> studying it since. So that's fine. Marking as well, if it's not in your subject area, it can be daunting. So understanding that you're not going to know everything mm-hmm. straight away and actually doing a bit of re- like reading around it and trying your best, that's all you can do. Asking advice, like you messaged the whole yeah. teaching department <laughs> about your nervous class. You know, asking someone, oh, do you know, I don't really understand this marking, I speak to the module coordinator could you give me some advice you have like marking guidance we had marking training and similarly to that even though you will know more than your class when you're teaching it if they ask something that you don't know don't panic you're Mm. not supposed to know everything just tell them you'll come back to it later or if they ask you a really theoretical interesting question and you have no idea (laughs) i just say oh that's a really good question what do you think i do that all the time (laughs) I did it. And I did that this morning. <laughs> and whilst they're answering it, I'm not on Google. Like, duh, 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 what is the answer? <laughs> or I say, "Oh, that's really interesting. Why don't you have a think about that and email me what your thoughts are, or have a read around some research because that's really interesting." Mm-hmm. And yeah, dig yourself out of that hole. That's really good. Most of the time, you do know the answers to questions, but sometimes, if you're put on the spot, you just can't remember what they are. Just tell so, them you'll email them later. Our face-to-face teaching, what are we doing to make little top tips? So first of all, I think my big top tip is create a rapport with the students. Mm. Don't just walk in there and start talking about the subject and ignore them. Try to be a bit funny, but at the same time, try to learn their names, be nice to them. What do you do at the start of every... I love how you have to say be nice to them. You know, I feel like some people... (laughs) Don't be horrible to your students. Yes, please don't. (laughs) No, but also at the start of every academic year, I walk in there and I... So this is very daunting for all students. The little icebreaker questions. I hated them as a student. So what I do now, because I hated them and I know they'll hate them, instead of like pointing at them and asking them, tell me a fun fact about you right now, I just do a little menti and ask some fun questions. The, the one last year was, do you think Rachel and Ross from Friends were on a break? Yes or no? That's how I found out the students don't watch Friends anymore. <laughs> they oh, felt so old. <laughs> but the ones that did watch it, thought it was really nice. Oh, it was good. Started a discussion. Nice. Broke the house. Yeah. I did one last year with my class, a little icebreaker, and I put up pictures of my dogs, and I got oh. them to name them. And guess what their names were? And then whoever (laughs) picked the best name, I gave them a chocolate. Um, Sam and Gemma. No. I'm sorry. It was like Cheesy and Mr. Something. They thought thought Tilly was a boy. Oh, no. Was Tilly Mr. Something? Mr. Something. Oh, and this one when your dogs were still two and a four. Yeah, they're now doubled. Anyway... Another thing which is quite an easy tip to do if you're nervous about teaching is familiarising yourself with the teaching Mm -hmm. room. If you're on a campus-based university, or even if you're not on a campus-based university, finding the room that you have to teach in and making sure that you get there, leave enough room, set up your PC. Get yourself a little coffee so you 
You yeah. feel like you have something to do with your hands. Yeah, so you have something to hold. Get some water as well. Mm-hmm. I always forgot to bring water and then I get a really dry mouth from talking so much. So that's a really good tip as well. Speaking to other PhD students that have talked on that module as well. Definitely helps. Mm. We teach on different modules, so we can't talk to no. each other really. But if you're teaching, like doing demonstrations mm-hmm. or workshops where you've got a group of students and you're just helping, yeah. you might be working with someone else as well. So if they've done it before, just having a chat with them and being like, oh, hi, my name's Gemma, like, what do I have to do? Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, and that's absolutely okay because everyone was yeah. in that position. I did that in my first workshop. It worked. Yeah, so did I. I met, I met up with a person beforehand and got a coffee with them and they told me oh. what I needed to do. It was really cute. Um, if it's activity-based as well kind of planning roughly how long you're going to spend on each exercise. And usually it always takes either so much longer or so much less time. (laughs) Yeah, you can't roughly plan, but it doesn't always go. But at the same time, after a bit, you get the hang of it and you know how your students are going to act. Yeah. Or if you think, oh, I'm going to spend 15 minutes on this activity and it gets to 10 minutes and you hear the students talking about something that's absolutely not related to the topic at all. You're like, okay, let's bring it back and let's have a class discussion. That kind of thing. Yeah. Try to see what they're doing. Try to get what the vibe is and go off of it. Go with the vibes. (laughs) Um, Marking. What kind of top tips could we give for marking? Don't leave it all for the last day before the deadline. Don't do that. We are such hypocrites, eh? I always do that to this day. <laughs> I did that this week. <laughs> I did it Sunday oh. night and it was due in Monday morning. Oh, but it's, it's very stressful. Don't do that. No. Uh, use your time management sk- skills. Marking is renowned for being boring. But if you can get a little bit done each day, it does just make it such a nice yeah. process. The last batch of marking I did was the first batch I ever did where... I wasn't leaving it to the last minute, and it was so nice. I know. But then I just marked this batch, and it, it all no. went to pieces Especially again. if it's a subject that's not your subject, mm. don't leave it to the last second because you won't know what the answer to the questions are, yeah. and you're going to have to do research and read the guidelines, really. Yeah. I've marked on quite a few different modules now, and not all the marking guidance is the same. Some people will give really like loose marking guidelines and some will give really strict ones and mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to find a balance in between that. You obviously want some structure to understand what you're doing but also you don't want something to be so rigid that there's no flexibility Yeah, in, I agree. If, if all the papers are not meeting that. There and needs to obviously be you don't have any power over this mm. but after the first about 15 papers, mm. if they're exams, or after the first six courseworks, you kind of know what the average looks mm. like, so you can go off of it. And you say we don't really have any power, but I think we do in that if you are probably need to build your confidence up before you feel like you can do this, but certainly for me, when I'm marking and something isn't clear, I will say, I'm not quite sure this is quite right. I, mm-hmm. I've marked on this module a few times and I don't think this boundary is what it should be. Marking is much easier when you have clear guidance that you yeah. agree with. But, Agreed. So the last kind of tip that we want to give is, I think, liaising with other teaching members of the department can be quite daunting as well. Yeah. Especially if you're a new PhD student, you've got to talk to these really super, su- important, super professors. important professors <laughs> and you need to talk to them about teaching. I do think that you're... When you are a PhD student, you're a teaching associate, 
you do have a lot more face-to-face contact with the te- with the students than some of the people that are making the big decisions Definitely, do. Yeah. You're actually more involved and speak to the students more and you're able to give really valuable feedback. If you think something could be better, just say. But I sometimes think... module coordinators will ask you straight up mm. because they know that you told the students way more than they do. Mm. Or if they've changed something in their module when you deliver the seminar and they, they're going to ask you how did it go, it's really important that you, you be honest. You know? Yeah, don't just say, oh, yeah, it went all good, mm. but the class is up in flames. <laughs> I think, yeah, understanding that your voice is really important. Uh, we like going to staff events as well. I love it. <laughs> we love it. We're, we're so important. But we, I, I did that right from when I started. It's... Speaking with the more senior members of staff can really help you build networks and friendships in the department. Building that community with the staff. Yes, you obviously want a PhD community as well, but having those connections with the staff members really help because they've all done a PhD Yeah, as well. And if you know them, you feel like you can talk to them more if you're struggling with work-life balance or PhD teaching. You can totally moan to them Um, and they're going to understand because they've done that. Yes, and it will also give you a break from your PhD stuff as well because mm-hmm. you're going to be at staff events. And you feel so productive even though your PhD is still it's there. It's a great way of Untouched. Procrast- <laughs> it's a great way of procrastinating. <laughs> Brain bites. What is this week's topic? Uh, it kind of links into what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. We wanted to find out whether wearing a good outfit or making yourself look good or making yourself feel good mm-hmm. makes you more productive because Gaia when I walk from home I work in my one not onesie an hoodie Oodie. oh Oodie. so good so I comfy work, but I, at the same time I work in my pajamas and my hoodie and I want to know whether it would be better if I just got dressed the answer is yes you should get dressed oh I oh know, no. I'm sorry. What does the research say? Research by Kim, 2023, says that those who are dressed in nice outfits, but it doesn't have to be objectively nice, just stuff that makes you feel good, they will perform better because your self-esteem will be higher, so you will be more productive. Oh, so you're building that self-confidence and you'll be more focused. Yeah. This one mm. stop me from wearing PJs I mean, I probably home. still will wear my hoodie. 100%. But maybe if I want to be super productive, I might get dressed. Maybe loungewear, because that's not really pyjamas. Mm, feels like pyjamas. If I feel like I look good in my hoodie, that's, yeah, then I'll be You're fine. a big pink fluffy hoodie. I do. My, my hoodie is pink like a marshmallow. Yeah, she wears it during our team's meetings, so. <laughs> yeah, so it is about what you interpret yourself to look like. Yeah. You don't need to wear like a three-piece business suit No, just something house. that makes you feel good. If you feel confident in your leggings and your jumper, fab, um, it might also be good to think about for conferences and stuff as well. 100%. If you're going to feel more confident dressed up in more business attire, then yeah. wear that. But if you're going to feel more comfortable and confident in jeans and a smart jumper, do that totally as well. Totally fine. Like us right now, I'm in like work trousers. <laughs> well, and you did just have your upgrade and <laughs> leggings and a huge sweatshirt. <laughs> a very big jumper. Anyway, that's it for today. Yeah. Guys. So wear, wear whatever you like is the conclusion, but you are going to be more productive if you feel good. Third episode done. Fabulous. <sighs> These are going to come out very soon. Can't wait. Yeah, as we're recording this, our trailer comes out on Monday, so in a few days. How exciting. Well, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. 
we are really enjoying making these Mm -hmm. so we hope we can carry on doing it stay tuned for next episode which will be coming next week thanks so much to Royal Holloway Doctoral School for supporting this podcast and our amazing podcast team behind the scenes if you want to find out more about the other kind of doctor podcast where, where should people go, Gaia? Instagram and Twitter at otherdoctor underscore pod. And our website is www.theotherkindofdoctor.wordpress.com. Nice. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.